Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women's in the ring. Look at female boxing. This is episode number 105. My name is Felipe Leon from San Diego slash Tijuana, Mexico. And with me, as always, from Northern California is Mrs. Lupi Gutierrez. Lupi, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Usually I'm laughing and this was literally running in the door, throwing some pizza down and running to pick up my phone. Yeah. And um, with us, a little bit later on, it's going to be Mr. David Avila, but right now he's tied up. He's covering the Ring City fight card, which is the first of three that are going to be going down from Puerto Rico on NBC Sports with, uh, I believe, the last one on March 25th with a very big female fight, and we're going to be talking about that later on today. Tonight, our guest, is none other than NABF Super Bantamweight Champion, nine-time amateur champion, former Marine, Ms. Melissa Odessa Parker, who's coming in, who's coming off a very important win of her in her career. We're going to talk about that with her. Also, we're going to talk about, obviously, her Marine career and her journey in the amateurs as a nine-time uh, amateur champion. And then also we're going to talk about what's coming up in the calendar because female boxing is picking up in the next couple of weeks. Our next show is scheduled for March 18th, and we'll hopefully we'll have you here on our uh, listening to the show. And we're going to talk about what's coming up from here all the way to March 18th, all the major female boxing matches scheduled. But right now we're going to do a little bit of fight review. We're going to go back to Saturday, February the 21st. When from Orlando, Florida, Melissa Odessa Parker, our guest, a little bit later on tonight, scored a majority decision in an eight-rounder over veteran Maria Cecilia Roman of Argentina in 122 pounds. The scores were 80-72, 78-74, and a draw of 76-76. Lupi, I watched. I just finished watching this fight literally like two minutes ago before we went on the air. <laughs> yeah. And. You know, I think the 76-76, I don't believe it was a draw. I believe the 80-72 was way too wide. I think the 78-74 mm-hmm. is a just card for Miss Parker. Yeah. I was really impressed, though, by her style. She's very fluid. She only has four fights. This was her third fight. Very fluid. And taking out Cecilia Roman, Maria Cecilia Roman, who has maybe three times, if not four times, the fights that um, Parker does, and obviously a lot more uh, experience. And I like what Parker was doing, staying busy, using different angles, um, throwing a lot of punches. But Roman actually act, had a pretty good strategy herself, keeping her guard up and mm-hmm. kind of walking Parker down and, and, and co- closing down the, the, the distance and waiting for the right moment to unleash some power punches. So it was a good fight. I think the majority decision um, was fair, 
I don't, I don't, I didn't see it as a draw. I did see Parker winning, but I didn't see her winning all the rounds. I think that 78-74 is the closer uh, score than yeah. what we saw in the ring. What did you see, Lupi? <clears throat> I yeah, I felt like you. I thought it closer. That was that fight was it was a battle, and I think um, even though she only has the four fights, uh, people forget or or don't know that she has this beautiful amateur career. She's like eighty eight and twenty two. She's Team USA. She fought for the boxing or the Marines and the Army. I mean, she's got a really nice pedigree. I, it was it was exciting. I love I love when they fight close. You know, close fight inside. I love that. Yeah, I think I was watching that fight, and it was very entertaining, and I think it's mm-hmm. uh, a, an early candidate for a fight of the year, to quite honestly, actually, obviously, yeah. female fight of the year, um, and, and you were, it, go ahead. Well, and you know, it was hard to tell, like, she had a, so it's a fourth fight, and the first one was by UD, and the la- the two after that were by KO, so it was really hard to tell, like, how is she going to come out, like, going against a world champion, and she really held her own. She did amazing it was a great fight a beautiful fight yeah and that's true because um her amateur pedigree like you mentioned was i think the key i mean she has experience i mean she's nine-time amateur champion she has an extensive amateur career and it showed in in the fight but it also showed that she has a professional style you know it's not just mm-hmm. any pattern she's actually trying to punish her opponent she's hitting with mm-hmm. power and it was very impressive that she was able to beat Roman. I I think it was a, in a convincing fashion. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with the majority decision, but like I mentioned, I think that it mm-hmm. wasn't a draw. I think that she won the fight. I just think that 8072 is why I don't think that she took all the rounds. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a good solid fight and a good solid win for Melissa Odessa Parker, and she is gonna be our guest in about uh, I would say about 10 minutes. So we'll wait for her to give us a call. Where is she calling from, Lupi? From Texas. Oh, she's from Texas, or she lives there, or she's from Texas originally, yeah, she's do you in know? Spring, Texas. Yeah. No, she's from she's Brooklyn. Okay, so she's from New York. And hopefully we can have Mr. Uh, David Avila with us for the interview. If not, we're going to uh, soldier through and we'll wait for him to come on on the show the same night on Saturday, February 27th, but in the Czech Republic, the current Adam weight champion, 102 pound champion, Fabiana Bitiki scored a unanimous decision over Judith Hackbold in a non-title six rounder scores. There were 60, 54, three times. And um, a week later from the Caribe Royal on same night on February 27th, but a week later after the Parker fight against Roman, Jasmine Artiga scored a second-round TKO over Randy Lynn Morales in a scheduled six-rounder at 115 pounds. The official time there was 1:11. So those were the only two hey, fights. Randy Go was, ahead. Randy, Randy was not happy. I talked to her. She was not happy about that at all. She said there was no knockdown. There wasn't any blood. She goes, yeah, I got hit. She goes, but she didn't think that it should have been a TKO. And they, she didn't think they should stop the fight. I saw a clip of it. You know what? I have it tomorrow. I'll send it to you. And I was like, wow, but she is getting beat. Like, she's getting hit. But okay. it, she felt like it wasn't. But I have a clip somewhere. I think she sent it to me. So I'll send it over to you. Just so you can see. Yeah, I want to see that just so, so we can have some context uh, on that. Now, before uh, Ms. Parker calls in, let's, let's talk about a little bit of what's coming up. Because, you know, 
we're in uh, moving into the third month of the year. Obviously, COVID is still, you know, part of our lives, but it looks like, you know, more people are getting vaccinated. Um, mm-hmm. It looks like a lot of the country is opening up a, a little bit. Some of the some parts of the world have opened up. Uh, we're the last. I mean, tech, we, yeah, I mean, we're probably California, gonna be the last in California. Like yeah. Yeah, feel, but Texas. Yeah, Texas opened up completely. No mask mandate. Everything's open. Full throttle. Wow. I mean, we're gonna have to see. We're gonna have to see how that affects the state and the numbers yeah. in the next uh, mm-hmm. couple of weeks. But with that said, boxing and boxing is starting to come back. Obviously, this past weekend we saw Saúl Canelares in Florida with a crowd of about fifteen thousand at the Hard Rock Stadium. Um, You know, and 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 if boxing in general starts picking up, then obviously there's going to be some female boxing, and and we're going to talk about that in our um, in our uh, fight calendar for the next couple of weeks. But what, about a week ago, the mega fight between current WBC and WBO featherweight world champion Amanda Serrano and current WBO bantamweight champion Daniela Bermudez of Argentina was announced as official for Thursday, March 25th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, Ring City, which is a, a, a new series that is being broadcast on NBC Sports, is going to broadcast three fight cards with the first of them being tonight which David is covering and then there's going to be another one and then the third one is going to be on March 25th and in that fight as the main event is it the, I think it is the main event it's going to feature you know Amanda Serrano who actually was born in Puerto Rico but grew up in Brooklyn New York she's going to be defending her WBC and WBO featherweight 126-pound titles against the current WBO bantamweight champion, Daniela Bermuda Argentina. And this is the first time in a while um, that we have two of the considered top 10 pound-for-pound female fighters mm-hmm. actually facing each other. We probably already yeah. we already saw it as well last year, and we're gonna probably and we're gonna see it again, definitely. Um, in March, and we're going to talk about that in our fight calendar, where Cecilia Bracos uh, faced Jessica McCaskill. Those was two of the top ten pound-for-pound mm-hmm. female fighters out there. Um, and, you know, at that time, we also probably saw it when um, Clarissa Shields faced Christina Hammer, who at mm-hmm. that time, both of them could be considered top ten pound-for-pound but it's not something that we've seen um, very often. And, in fact, that Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer, we've talked about it here on the show numerous times, where it kind of turned out to be a bust where Christina Hammer really didn't give us a fight that we were expecting from her. Yeah. But the Jessica McCaskill-Cecilia Breakhouse was a fight so good, so close, mm-hmm. so competitive that we're going to see it again, and we're going to talk about that in mm-hmm. the upcoming calendar. Mm-hmm. And on March 25th, we're going to have two of the top top 10 pound-for-pound fighters facing each other. Now, on the two-minute round, we are very honest, and we say how it is, and we have to mention that the heaviest that Daniela Bermudez has fought is 122 pounds. Now, mm-hmm. 
Amanda Serrano has fought anywhere from 115 to, I think, 135, if not one. I think she even went up to 140, I believe. Um, she is a seven division, so 115, 118, 122, 126, 130, 135. Yeah, 140. So she's gone from 115 to 140. Um, Amanda Serrano. And the number of the heaviest that she has gone is 122. She's gone as low as 108 very early in her career. She actually, her first loss or one of her first losses was to uh, the, another Argentinian, uh, Jessica Tutti Bob at 108. Um, mm. But she grew into her body. She's a little bit older. I think she's close to being 30. So she's kind of settled at 118. She went to Mexico and beat some years ago, Mariana Juarez at 118. She went to 122 mm. a little bit, uh, not too long ago, won the, the IBF title there. And then I believe she left the vacant and went down to WBO where she's been campaigning for a while. So there's going to be a Daniela Bermudez who you could call a natural 118 pounder, but is willing to go up that eight pounds to face Amanda Serrano at probably Lupe Serrano's best weight. I mean, we've seen her go all the way to 115, which is it's pretty unbelievable, you know, and we've seen yeah. her go all the way up to 140. But I would say between 126 and 130 is Amanda Serrano's best weight. What do you think? Yeah, I do think. And I think she might end up there after a weigh-in because she is bigger than Daniela. I mean, she is. And so, But this is a really competitive fight. So let's see what Daniela Bermudez brings. I agree. It's going to be a competitive fight because Daniela Bermudez mm-hmm. has a lot of skills. She's shown it. And and from what we've seen from Amanda, she, she doesn't tend to use her. She hits very hard, and I think she knocks people out, and she's done it uh, very much so at 126 pounds. But she doesn't tend to use um, her weight as an advantage. She's more about speed and movement, but she does have that power. So if that power turns out to be an advantage at 126, um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, can Daniela Bermudez take Amanda Serrano's power at 126 pounds? Do you think that, um, do you think she can knock her out? I think she can. I think that, I think that uh, skill wise, I think they're pretty close. I mean, Daniela Bermudez is very technical, very good, very talented fighter. And obviously Amanda Serrano is as well. Very technical, very good boxer, um, very fast, very aggressive. But she's going to be fighting somebody that is going to be a little bit smaller. And what we've seen from yeah. from Amanda Serrano is that she's very powerful at 126, 130. I think, I mean, I didn't do my research, and I apologize. And maybe by next time or previous to this fight, I'll have a little bit of a breakdown of it. But I would, I would, I would venture to say that the majority of Amanda Serrano's knockouts have been in the 126 and 130 division. So uh, I think I'm going to do a little bit of research and get ready for when that March 25th comes. Now, with that said, and with everything that we said about maybe Bermudez being at disadvantage, it does not take anything away from the fight. I think the fight's a great fight that was made. I think it's going to have a great platform on, on Ring yeah. City, you know, and, and I think it's going to be a great, fight for female boxing when you have two of the 
you know, two of the pound-for-pound pound best currently facing each other. I mean, you could only expect fireworks with one or two duds like what it was with Clarissa mm-hmm. Shields and Christina Hammer. Um, yeah. So let's hey, wait for that. Go ahead. Hey, Felipe, I mean, Ring City is doing some nice things. They really are. Who's, who is Ring City? I know the Ring announcer guy, but who is Ring City? Do you know? Well, Ring City, no, it's, it's a it's – a, there's different promoters. They're giving an opportunity to different promoters to put on different fights. You know, Tom Loeffler of 360 Promotions, who has been our guest, yeah. he's involved with mm-hmm. it. Um, Golden Boy has put on fights from the Wild Card yeah. game. Some of the fights that were put on there were Golden Boy fights. Lou DeBella, I believe, has a little bit of a hand oh. in it as well. So it's oh, different promoters. Oh. Yeah. Oh, is it the promoters working together under an umbrella, or is it – or is it somebody, an organization on top that's working with all these promoters? No, I think it's NBC who, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have like a, you have to have a promoter like um, like who's going to be the, doing the logistics. I'm sure right now the promoter that's doing the logistics in Puerto Rico, it's probably a Puerto Rican promoter mm-hmm. who's doing all the logistics, you know, the venue, the, the commission, dealing with the commission, mm-hmm. um, the ring, you know, the ambulance. All that stuff. Yes. Yeah, so, and then, okay. So that's and then I think traveling around. Yeah, and I think that different promoters are bringing in their fights. I'm, I'm maybe they call okay. Golden Boy and say, Hey, what do you have? What can you offer us for this amount of money that you think is good enough for TV? Well, I have this. And then they call Tom Loeffler. What do you have? I have this. What? Yeah. And then I believe the main event, uh, Brandon Adams. I think he's from Russell Peltz, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who is a promoter out of Philadelphia. And then uh, the the other guy, I don't know who promotes him. I, I, I think it's Tom Loeffler, actually, the guy that promotes the other guy that's in the main event. So I think it's different promoters working with each other and, uh, and, and working with NBC, which I think it's a good idea because we get to see all kinds of different fighters in good fights uh, on TV. So, um, so with that said... Why don't we bring on our special guest for tonight on the Two Minute Round, your hooks and jabs look at female boxing. This is episode number five, number 105, I'm sorry. And with us now is NABF Super Bantamweight champion and the winner of her most recent fight against veteran Maria Cecilia Roman, Miss Melissa Odessa Parker. Let me pass her in. Miss Parker, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Melissa, for being here with us. This is a two-minute round, like we explained. And I'm going to pass on the baton to Mrs. Lupe Gutierrez. Go ahead, Lupe. Hey, Melissa, how are you? Good evening, good. Just got done with some hard training sessions, so I'm feeling sore, but good. <laughs> you know what? I just saw your message, like, right now, because I'm like, 748, let me check. And then you're like, is this phone or video? And I just said phone. And what's funny is um, – I don't know if I told you this, Felipe. I probably did. We, when we had Emily Bridges on a while back, she thought it was a video, and she sent me a picture. She goes, this is what I look like for the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's too so funny. No lie. I went in the bathroom and fixed my hair and, like, tried to wipe my <laughs> face down because it was all red. I was like, I got to kind of look decent for this. And then I saw the number. I was like, oh, it's just phone call. And I took my hair out and just let it look how it does. <laughs> it's perfect. You know, first off, beautiful displays of boxing, Melissa. I mean, you're inside fighting. It's just, it's to me, that's my kind of boxing. It was, you, it's oh, beautiful. Man. Thank you. I appreciate hey. that. You know, it's interesting. You know, some people 
they love inside fighting um, and they're able to see the details and what's happening. And then you have others where for them, they need to see outside fighting to really tell who's getting the clean shots in. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, I think that's why some people like on social media, they were kind of mixed on, on who did what on your fight because it was so inside and so tight. But I was seeing the upper, those uppercuts um, awesome. one after another. Hey, yeah, so we kind of missed her head up, but she had some tight defense. Yeah. That was an amazing fight. Was that for the belt? I mean, I keep hearing it was for the belt. It wasn't. Was it for the NABF? So what happened is that we reached out to her, and we wanted to fight for the IBF, and she accepted. But then they threatened to strip her of her title if she um, fought me, so we couldn't fight for that. So then I was supposed to fight for the NABO, so we asked her if she would want to fight me for it. At the time, she said yes. When she got to the States, she decided not to sign the paperwork, so they couldn't release the title to me. And I don't blame her for it, but she could have just, you know, kept it real and said, hey, I'll fight you for a tune-up fight, but I'm not going to fight you for the regional titles because if I was a world champion, I wouldn't have done it either. But she could have Mm -hmm. just simply told me, so we're not promoting something that's not going to happen. So what happened? I mean, did she? She just refused to sign the paperwork so they can't release it. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you have but, to, you have to, um, you have to sign it with them so that you can officially get the title. So because of that, it just became a non-title fight. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, th- that brings in a, a. I'm just remembering on social media, somebody was saying, you know, she should slow down. And so, what do you think of that? Like, um. You know, I guess people don't realize you had this stellar amateur career, and they think that you came out and you're 4-0, and they think, oh, so now she had those, you know, this four wins that now you're calling out Juliana Luna. I mean, what do you say those people are telling you to slow down? I think that they should take the time to look me up and, you know, just see what I've been able to do throughout my career. I have a background in amateur boxing, and I was able to make the world team. I made the USA team and represented them. I was number one in the country multiple times. I'm a nine-time national champion. I've won ringside three times. So I was really active, and I'm used to fighting often. Now that I'm pro, I only fight one person at a time. So I don't need much recovery in between just because my body is so used to it. So I would like to stay busy because I have that mindset. I want to train, I want to fight, and I want to work towards my goals of getting all the belts, and I can't do that if I'm not staying active. Did you have any trouble finding a fight when you came back? Where did you, where did you come back from? Did you come back from having a baby or being a mom, or were you, did you get hurt? Yeah, well, I actually did get hurt. hurt. Um, yeah. No, so this one, it was because of injury. I wound up carrying my ACL and meniscus and it took me out for two and a half years. So then I came back into fighting, but I was only going to do MMA. So I was training at an MMA gym, which is my current um, gym war in Texas. And 
I was just going to stick to that. And then I realized, you know what? I have some unfinished business. So I called my head coach and manager, Andre Rozier, that I trained with in New York. And I told him, hey, I I think I want to get back into boxing. And he literally called me back within a few days and was like, we made it happen. Come down and train. And that was in August of last year. So I've only been pro and fighting back in boxing um, around six months. Yeah. Did you have trouble finding that first fight after your time off? Um, Because people looked at your amateur career or did they not underestimate you, but didn't really know where you were coming from? Yeah, and I was shocked by that. I thought with me coming back, everybody would jump on it like, yeah, she, she can't be that good with this, you know, long of a layoff. Let me jump on top of it and go against her now versus later when she's been training consistently. But nobody will step up. For instance, Shelly Barnett, she's been fighting in my weight class, and she turned me down to fight for the NABO title, and she turned me down to fight for, like, my second fight. But now she's going down two weight classes to fight Marlene. And this is what I've been experiencing. I'm watching all these girls turning me mm-hmm. down, but now they're matched to fight. Yeah, see, and that's all the stuff that people don't see behind the scenes. And you're looking at it going, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's okay because at the end of the day, I'm still going to get what I want. And I'll just be patient and I'll take whoever's willing to step up until I get to a point where if you want a belt, now you have to call me out because I have it. So I'll become that mandatory, and I'll do what it takes to get there. Yeah, we're seeing that. We really are. You know, I want to take you back um, to 2005, and um, when you represented the United States in the Women's World Championships in Russia, and you placed fifth in the world, just to give – our listeners, you know, some of your background. Um, you said you considered this the greatest success at, your t- at that time. Do you, what do you remember? What can you tell us about that? Well, I had only been uh, boxing on the national level um, sometime in 2004, and I won the nas- my first nationals, and I made the U.S. team, and I was able to go to Argentina for the U.S. Continentals. And that was my first time representing the U.S., and that was awesome. And then I wound up going to the Worlds for the first time, and I actually lost against the chick from Russia who won the entire um, tournament for her division. And I say that it was one of my best accomplishments, the biggest accomplishments that I hold dear, because I'm from Brooklyn, New York. You know, I'm from Bushwick. And I didn't think I was ever going to even leave my neighborhood. So for me to leave the country and to be able to do something on that level and be able to represent the U.S., that it was just a surreal feeling and meeting so many different countries and other women who have the same love and passion. It was a great experience. So how did you make the transition, or was it before, um, from USA Boxing to the Army and then to the Marines? Like how? How did that happen? So I started boxing at 15, and I I had seen the Marine team training, and the coach would always mess around with me that, hey, you should join the Marines. You're such a great fighter. And I'm like, ah, um, I don't know. I think I'm just going to go to college. Well, I tried college, and I didn't like it too much. So I called them, and I was like, hey, you know, does that offer still stand? Like, what do I have to do? So I researched the military. He told me how it works, and I joined the Marines, and I was able to fight with their team. 
Well, I got out the Marines, and while I was a realtor, um, just, you know, being a mom and not really fighting, the head coach from the world-class athlete program with the Army called me and wanted to recruit me to be on their team. So I did a few tournaments with them, and everything flowed. We were a good match to train together, and I joined them. And I was with them from 2014 until March of 2016. Wow. That's some, you know, no wonder your pedigree is where it is. So where did the, you were a Naga gold medalist in 2019. And what did, you know, okay. So Clarissa Shields said that she had a, she has the mental pedigree to switch back and forth between boxing and MMA. I mean, being a two-time mm-hmm. gold medalist, of course. Michaela Mayer, I asked her, she said no way, and she could not and didn't want to do that. I mean, you've been on Team USA, you trained at the OTC, I mean, you had the Marines, boxing, <laughs> you're a Naga gold medalist. So are you cut from that same cloth as Shield to make that transition? I would say so. There's not many fighters in general who have the mindset like Clarissa and I, and that's why you can see the difference between us and what we're able to do. It is such a huge transition to go from one combat sport to another. But for me, I look at it as this way. You know, when you go to school, you got to take multiple classes, different subjects, and you adjust. You learn how to deal with all the different information. I translate that into my fighting. Your stance has to be different between boxing and MMA, the way you approach things, attack, and even defend. So that's kind of my mindset when I'm doing these multiple sports between boxing MMA and um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Hmm. Are you, um, do you have daughters? I have a 13-year-old daughter, Malia, and I have a 10-year-old son, Michael. So are you teaching them how to defend themselves and everything that you know, even the mental part of it? Are, are they going into the sport or are they doing their own thing? Yeah, I do. I have them actually take boxing classes now because with the pandemic, everything shut down so they couldn't play their sports. So when my gym opened up, I had them coming in because I feel that being in some type was good for you because it helps build that discipline and be able to deal with Mm -hmm. things and also builds you up physically. So (laughs) it's funny because my son loves it, but my daughter's like, Mom, this is really hard. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's reversed. It's my son who says that. It's my daughter who wants to do it so bad, and I'm so scared because she's so small and she's so sweet. And then she puts on gloves and she gets all mean and she's punching hard, and I'm like, what did I create? I created a monster. (laughs) Yeah, you're looking at yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I I love how so you just straight out and you're just, you know, you're a breath of fresh air. I mean, you know, we talk on DMs, and, but I, I watch all your interviews, and I just like how you're just so straight out. And, oh, actually, you know what? Okay, so after, I think it was before your third fight, when you really, when you laid that girl out, but that's a whole other. Anyway, you were on Ring, you were talking to Ring IQ, and you were giving your thoughts on Amanda Serrano. I, I don't want to bring it up so you can talk shit on the show, but actually, it's what made my head turn around going, who, who is this? And can you, I don't know if Felipe saw it, so anyway, can you just share your thoughts on what you were talking about? Yeah, so when it comes to Amanda Serrano, everyone doesn't realize that my issue with her is that she is so talented. 
she's Hispanic and she's from New York. So for me, it's personal where it's not that I want to fight her. It's that she's someone that I feel like, man, you should be representing. And I hold her to that standard because she's actually talented and she can fight and she could be much bigger than she actually is. But she has her manager who just dictates everything. She doesn't speak for herself. She doesn't step up for fights. How you uh, unify vacant champion, you know, and now when people call you out, you want to go after other champions and call them out on stuff that you did. Tired of going after her because it's, it's kind of getting boring now because they keep opening the door for criticism. And it's like, when are you going to learn that you can't keep making excuses and think that people can't just look it up now? It's not like back then. Yeah. We have the internet. Yeah. We're watching. We're keeping up with things. So I was just a little, like, peeved that they're coming after Helena the way they are because they did the same thing to Heather Hardy after they fought her and they talked all this crap about her and mm-hmm. about her failing her drug test. But you're training under someone who had their own issues with drugs and that's a whole nother story. And no one's putting yeah. you on the spot about that. So you got to think before you talk because people are going to yeah. respond. Yeah. And yeah, and, and you're right. And and that's why I asked you to um, just comment on it because it's the way you say things, too. You don't say it in a trash talking. You, you just say it, you know. You say what we all yeah. what we all know. And like you said, you can look it all up. So um, one last thing I, wanna, I just want to get from you because I, I just love how straight out you are. But you're not a trash talker. You're just straight out. And there's a difference, you know. There's a difference. So yeah. what are your thoughts? on equality in the sport? I mean, what do you see and what do you want to see? Opinion on the issue with women and why we're not getting paid better is because of issues like Amanda and Helena and all these girls who are being so picky about who they fight. Until we're fighting other top quality fighters and putting on great fights that aren't one-sided, nobody wants to watch us. This is a profession. We're professional boxers. We fight, but we also entertain. We need to get butts in the seats. We need people paying for the streaming and the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. If that's not mm-hmm. happening, you're not going to build up. So we need to start promoting ourselves as much as it sucks. Until we get there, it's our responsibility to do what it takes to get our career where we want it. But until we step up and fight each other when we're the best, the interest isn't going to build. So I don't believe that you should get paid money if you're not fight that kind of money if you're not fighting other top people. You can't go from fighting tomato cans that you stop within 20 seconds in the first round to wanting to fight one of the best female fighters and think that you should make the same money they are. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. You know what, Melissa? It was so great talking to you, and we'll be watching everything you're doing because you brought a lot of excitement back. It's what we needed. I'm sorry, you cut out. Repeat the last part. Oh, I said you just you brought back uh, some excitement to the division. You know, you really did. It's just we needed it after 2020 and everything, and it's just great to see somebody come out and go, "Yeah, this is." You just brought what people want. 
Oh, man, thank you so much for that. It makes me feel better because I try to find that balance because I know I'm outspoken. But, man, if somebody <laughs> don't speak up, who else is going to finally follow the, you know, that person's lead and start speaking up? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, Felipe, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You know, I, I got a lot of questions. You said a lot of things, very <laughs> interesting things. So I have a lot of questions. You said things that we've said on the show before and we think the same way. You said it very eloquently. But before we go into that, I'm a big fan of a movie called do the right thing by spike lee it's based out of brooklyn i'm not sure if it's bushwick but i know it's somewhere around there and you re- your accent reminds me so much of rosie Perez in that in that movie are you are you puerto rican i am i'm mixed i'm puerto rican and black but i was raised with the hispanic side of my family you speak spanish you know what i'm working on it because i'm not fluent so mm-hmm. hopefully it gets there because i feel like man I feel it's my duty, you know, if I want to represent myself as a Hispanic woman and having family from Puerto Rico, that I should take the time out to speak better Spanish and be able to hold conversations. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned to, to Lupi that you started boxing at 15, but when did you start training in MMA and what made you decide to start uh, with that uh, discipline? Yeah, so my first amateur MMA fight was back in 2015, late 2015. I had made the world team for 2016, and that tournament was in December of 2015. So I would come to Victory MMA for sparring and some training because I was still with the all with the WCAP boxing team with the Army, and we would come to this gym. So in between training, I would just be hanging out, and the head coach, Gilbert Smith, was like, hey, why don't you just try one of the classes instead of just sitting here watching? And I was like, ah, I don't like anything with feet. <laughs> but then I decided to try it, and I fell in love with the difficulty in doing a sport that has so many disciplines and so many components to it. So with only four weeks of training outside of boxing, I had my first MMA amateur fight. Wow. So, you know, you've been so successful in boxing, nine-time amateur champion, traveled all over the world, um, competing, fighting in Russia and all kinds of other places. Did you feel that you were kind of like, like stagnant, you know, kind of like stuck in a place with boxing that when you tried MMA and it was a challenge, you had to learn, you know, the ground game, you had to learn the different type of striking that they do, that it was something, uh, it was refreshing, kind of taking you away from boxing where you, you are so successful and you know your ins and outs of boxing, that that's why it kind of like was appealing to you? Yeah, and another thing is, is, you know, I'm dual service. I'm retired dual service. I was in the Marines, and I was also in the Army. And we have combatives where you can actually, like in the Marines, you can earn different belt colors that you wear around your trousers and your camis, and that mm-hmm. shows what level you're at. And I didn't realize at the time that I was basically doing some of the same things that you do in MMA, but it was more geared for um, combat and close fighting so I think that helped me to feel a little bit more at ease when I came to MMA 
But just being an athlete and it being exciting and me wanting to learn is what helped me transition the most. One thing that now focusing more on boxing, one thing that I that I noticed from your last fight with uh, Maria Cecilia Roman is your style. It's very this even though you have this amazing amateur pedigree, your style is very professional. You know, it's very solid. You're not pity pattering your punches. You're landing them with bad intentions, quick movements. Um, so. Was that something that you already had in the amateurs where you had more of a pro style in the amateurs or did you have to transition and how difficult was the transition into a more of a, of a pro style? I actually struggled in the amateurs because I have more of a pro style mm-hmm. and I've had numerous coaches tell me like turn pro um, your style fits that better and you can really make it far. But with the way women's boxing was, it didn't appeal to me at the time. Now, talking about this fight, I was very impressed, just like Lupi mentioned, we, you know, your style, Cecilia Roman, very, a lot of experience, she's a veteran, she's fought, she's a world champion, you know, and you're coming in there with three fights, obviously with all your pedigree, but she seemed to have a very, she had a strategy, you know, she was going to keep her guard up, she knew you were probably going to be the busier and the faster fighter, but she was going to look for those in-between moments where she could catch you and she did with some good power punches at close range which made the fight very exciting were you expecting that from her was that something that you and, and Mr. Andre Rozier worked on or did you have to adjust on the fly on that fight honestly heck no <laughs> <laughs> it was it was, it was pretty impressive that way in her, her previous fights like she you know someone came up to me they were like hey you know she's had, like, a full training job. Like, she's been training hard because, you know, she accepted the fight the week of um, fight week. So I didn't know I was fighting her literally till like, I think Tuesday of, the, of fight week. And um, she just, after the fight, you know, because I was zoned in at the time, so I just adjusted. But she did surprise me because she came in and a lot of – a fighter, female fighters don't want to fight me on the inside. So I had to dig deep and adjust and just be able to outscore her at that point because her defense was so tight. I knew that me most likely being able to stop her was going to take a lot more work than my gas tank had in it. And then her with the freaking body um, guards. I I have an issue with that. I don't know why in boxing you're allowed to wear bodyguards that come up so high because, you know, when you close your defense, that bodyguard almost goes up to your chest. So Mm -hmm. having to power punch through that body, it was hard to show how effective it was because she was protected. But she surprised me wanting to go at it with me on the inside. But I was ready for whatever type of fight came to me. You're in Texas, and Andre Rozier trains out of New York. You know, first, my first question: How'd you end up in Texas? And second, how is it going to work with Rozier? Are you going to fly back for training camps, or he's going to go to Texas, vice versa? First, how did you end up in Texas? Second, how's the camp going to work? So the military brought me to Texas, and I fell in love with the state and. At the time, I was married, and we had agreed that when we retired from the military, 
that Texas would be where we would go. So around 2012, we moved to Texas and I still go to New York because that's where I'm from. And if I'm going to train, I want to train with the best and who brings out the best in me. So for boxing, I had to go back to New York and train with my coach, Andre Rozier. So I just travel back and forth um, for training camps. And, you know, I visit my kids in between or they come visit me and see me. But we've known each other so long that it just flows in the understanding of what I need to do in order to be able to train and fight so that I can perform the way I need. But being a mom is always going to be my priority. So I have to be able to see my kids no matter where I go. Now at 15, that's who you began training with, with Andre Rozier? No. So funny story. I actually started boxing in Connecticut under Larry Pelletier because my mom wanted to move out of New York and I didn't really have um, family to stay with at the time. So I was like, oh, man, I got to move now to Connecticut. So we went out there, and one of my classmates had passed away. And part of the wake was at the boxing gym. And that's how I learned about amateur boxing. But when I would compete, Andre started coming up to me and talking to me. He's like, aren't you from New York? And we built rapport. So when Mm -hmm. I joined the military, I wound up hitting him up whenever I would need someone to work my corner. So we started working together like maybe a year or two after I started boxing. Wow, pretty interesting. And, and you just got you guys just clicked, and it's been uh, it's ever been ever since. Yeah, you know it's that that Brooklyn love. <laughs> we look mm-hmm. out for each other. Now the last subject that I'm going to touch with you is Julianne Luna. She's a WBC. Um, uh, she's actually the Bantamweight champion. So you're willing to go down to Bantamweight? Is that your more natural weight class? So I have no problem um, going down. When I fought um, Maria Roman, they mixed up our weight. I'm actually the one who weighed in around 119, and she weighed in closer to 122. Mm. I don't have trouble making 118. Um, I'm naturally a featherweight. I don't really go up that high in weight. So when it's Mm. time to cut, it's not a problem for me. So I could have made 118 easily. I weighed in like 119 and a half, you know, for the fight at 122. I was willing to go down at the time because 122 was tied up. So I was like, let's go after 118. But then that came with its own issues because they came back and told me that I guess the rematch is a mandatory. I don't understand how a one-sided fight can lead to a mandatory fight that's um, rematch that's not even a clause in a contract. So I left it alone. So I don't know who she's fighting or what's going on with her, but they did not um, allow me to fight her. And at the time, it had nothing to do with my record. They said she had a mandatory coming up next. So with Luna, you obviously I'm sure that you saw her beat uh, Mariana La Barri Juarez. What did mm-hmm. you see in her style that you think you can exploit? Um, she's slow, a little flat with it. I don't think she's... Um, I don't think her skills are on my level, just to be honest. I see myself exposing her and showing all her weaknesses or her openings. And that's why I like the fight, because I know that she's not just going to take whatever I throw at her. So it's just going to show 
whose skill level is above whose and whose willpower can push through. She fought a great fight against um, Juarez, and, you know, she she won it cleanly. And that was what enticed me to want to go down and wait and fight her. I like to fight fighters who are in this game to go against the best. Mm-hmm. And my last question, you know, you had you had a really good fight with Cecilia, Maria Cecilia Roman. Um, you know, at times you were dominating, at times, you know, it got a little bit closer. She did certain things, like you mentioned, that you weren't expecting. What do you think that you could take from that fight that can help you against Luna? Well, what it boils down to is the fact that now that I'm a professional fighter, I have to take my emotions out of things, and that's something that I've been working on. So when I found out that I wasn't fighting Maria and then my next opponent fell through and then my next three turned me down, I was kind of in a funk. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to put my body through a hard training camp to fight a tomato can. So I, I blocked and shame on me because you should always be ready because you never know what opportunity will come. So this was a learning lesson for me that no matter what, stay training, stay active. And if I have a fight day, it shouldn't matter whether I have an opponent or not. I need to tr- continue training as if I'm going to be fighting a world champion because that's what happened. And I went out there and I didn't execute the way I should have because I didn't have the gas tank. I didn't have it in me to do it. And you could see how tired I was. Thank you, Melissa, for your frankness and for being here with us. Before we let you go, why don't you go ahead and give our audience your social media so they can follow your journey in boxing? Most definitely. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Melissa Odessa. Odessa with two Ds. (laughs) (laughs) And Lupi, anything before we let uh, Melissa go? Um, any word on your May fight? Yes. So you announced it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's official. Um, we have a card for May 24th in Orlando and, um, we don't have an opponent yet, but we have been approved to fight for the NABO. So as soon as I do have an opponent locked in, I will announce who it is, but it will definitely be on May 22nd. And it's going to be on... It's going to be at 122 pounds or 118? Yes, I'm, I'm going to stay at 122. Honestly, the only way at this point I'm willing to change weight classes is if a world champion calls me out. Mm. Perfect. Now, I watched your fight. I loved it. I, I became a fan then, but I'm now an even bigger fan after speaking to you because I really enjoyed the conversation, Melissa. And thank you for being here with us. And hopefully it's not the, the first and last time. Yeah, you know, hopefully the next time we talk, I'll be a world champion. One more fight. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Thank you, Melissa. Have a great night, and be safe out there in Texas. Wear a mask, even if you don't have to. <laughs> Most definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Miss Melissa Odessa Parker, 122-pound 
contender 4-0. You might say it's a little bit strange saying that she's a contender 4-0 with two knockouts, but she definitely is because she proved it in her last fight. She's looking for a, a title fight, either 118 or 122 pounds. Great, great conversation uh, with Miss Parker. Let's move on a little bit to the fight chatter. Um, earlier this week as well, Lupe, it was announced current WBC super lightweight champion Chantel Cameron of England suffered an injury in a car accident and now her scheduled first defense of her title against mandatory Melissa Hernandez has been postponed. No new date has been announced. And that's a shame because this fight was announced a couple months ago as part of a, of a big package of fights for yeah. matchroom boxing, which... The first of the female fights of that package is going to be this Saturday, and we're going to talk about that. But this was a, also a fight that we were looking forward. I think it was going to be March 20th, and uh, we were going to we were looking forward to this fight. And unfortunately, because of uh, an injury that Miss Cameron suffered, we're going to have to wait. How long? We don't know, Lupi. But it is it is only postponed and not canceled. And you know, it's one of the fights. It's probably the fight I've been my number one that I was looking forward to. But um, I was, uh, I saw on social media, Chantel was speaking with somebody and she said that Melissa had accused her of faking the car accident because she didn't want to find her, which I didn't hear, but I'm listening to Chantel. And she said, why would somebody do that? It's totally bad karma. She goes, but what she doesn't know is that she's all just keep saying it and I'm just using it. So it's going to make the fight even spicier than we thought. Yeah, hopefully she comes back from the injury with no uh, uh, consequences. You know, she recoups, she recovers mm-hmm. as best she can or at, to 100% before we see him in the ring. Also today, Luffy, the official weigh-in was held for the big Superwoman pay-per-view card being held tomorrow on Fight TV. That's something that we have been talking about uh, for the last two episodes. We've had uh, the same main event fighter here, Danielle Perkins. We had... Um, Mr. Mark Taffet, who is the manager of Clarissa Shields, and Daniel Perkins on the show as well to speak about it. And it's actually going to go down tomorrow. Today they weighed in with Clarissa Shields uh, weighing in at 153.6 pounds, whereas this, the IBF world champion, Marie-Yves DeCary, uh tilted the scale at 152.6. So she came in a little bit... She came in a little bit... Uh, uh, um, a little bit uh, lighter. Then we also have uh, Danielle Perkins, the heavyweight, which we had on our last show. She has a great interview, um, 196.8 versus Harrison, Monica Harrison, 202.8. Jamie Mitchell at 120 pounds versus Noemi Bosque, the veteran, at 119.6. And the late addition to the card but you're very excited. You're very excited about this. I'm excited for you, Lupe. You're jumping up and down when Marlene Esparza was announced to be part of the card. She's going to be at once. She tilted the scale at yeah. 117.4, which is a lot heavier than she's ever fought before. She's usually at flyweight. But, wow, somebody's uh, playing the radio out here. And then uh, Barnett at 119, her opponent, which is actually a fighter that uh, – Ms. Melissa Dessa Parker uh, mentioned. Um, now, there is uh, an eight-rounder scheduled at 160 pounds between Logan Holler and Shamel Baldwin was actually scratched 
after Baldwin was cleared medically. And let me patch in Mr. David Avila because he finally finished up his job with uh, <laughs> the uh, with the fight card, and now he's with us. David, how you doing tonight? Very good, Felipe. Sorry for the interruption there. And hi, Luby. <laughs> no hi, problem. David. Did you get a chance to listen to uh, the uh, the interview that we did with uh, Melissa Dessa Parker? No, sadly I wasn't able to. How did it go? Good, good. Okay, I just thought that maybe you were you were listening, uh, but you get a chance to uh, to uh, uh, listen to it later on tonight. Uh, did you get a chance to watch her fight against Maria Cecilia Roman a couple weeks ago? Yes, I did. It was that was a great fight. I mean, I was surprised at the technique, that her ability to fight inside, because that's that's a lost art among uh, professionals. And she showed that she does that. She's very comfortable fighting inside, inside as well as outside. What did you think of? I agree with you. And, and very good point. But what did you what did you think of Maria Cecilia Roman's strategy? I mean, I think that it was very effective to the point where she had her that high guard. And one thing that Miss Parker mentioned to us, and I know that you're going to have an opinion about it, is that Roman had one of those body shields that you hate so much in female boxing. Um, so when she had that high guard and then that body shield, she was pretty much protected. And Miss Parker also exactly. mentioned to us in the interview that she wasn't expecting that kind of uh, strategy or style from Roman because she had never fought that way. Um, what did you think of that strategy? And obviously share with us your thoughts on that body shield that the last time that we saw it and we made an issue of it was in that fight between uh, Alicia Napoleon Espinosa and Aaron Cerderus. Cerderus, yes. It's one of those things that Argentina in particular is very uh, uh, common. They they use that a lot. A lot of them in Argentina use that shield. I wonder if if Bermuda is going to use that shield when she fights uh, Amanda Serrano. But but also everybody in Europe uses that that body shield. And, And it's really illegal. They shouldn't be using it. So but, uh, the you, guard, I mean, I'm sorry, but, but, but do the, you um, think that that commi- I'm sorry, do you, do you think that commission has a case to to ban it in the United States? I don't see why not. I mean, they're not supposed to wear it above their belly button, but they basically they're they're bringing it all the way up to their chest, and uh, they don't need it. They're not guys, mm-hmm. so that's. Why are they using it? Basically, they're using it to, to me, it's cheating. Straight out, mm-hmm. it's just cheating. Me too. Well, but what did you think of the of the, the actual strategy that ben Roman was using where she was keeping her hot guard up and kind of looking for the spaces in between uh, Parker's punch? And, and to me, it, at times, it was very effective. And I was pretty impressed by it, actually, Roman's style. I was too. I had, honestly, uh, I mean, aside from the shield, the body shield, I thought that her technique was pretty good for not having used that before. It, she looked like a like a winky right, where she was just had that high guard and uh, she knew it looked like she had been doing it her whole career. But apparently, uh, according to because I I did uh, message Melissa right after the fight and I asked her about that and. She had told me uh, through message that uh, she wasn't expecting that. She had seen the tapes, and she had never seen anything uh, that kind of tactic before mm-hmm. from yeah, her. Yeah, she, she, and, she uh, did mention I that. I thought it was great. 
Now, yeah, let me I catch thought it was you up. really effective. Yeah, I think I thought so too. I thought it was a good strategy against an opponent like Parker and her and her stand. It looked like her team studied, even though they took the fight at very short notice. Let me catch you up with um with what we talked about in the fight chatter, where about a week ago the mega fight between uh, Amanda Serrano, WBC WBO featherweight champion, was current was announced as official against WBO bantamweight champion uh, Daniela Bermudez. Give us your thoughts on that fight, David. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fight. Uh, Bermudez is an excellent boxer. I mean, she she has everything. She she can pop, she can box, she can move. She she's got it all. She's got speed. Uh, she's very confident in the ring. It's like she it's like her home inside that ring. And, and the same with Amanda. Amanda's just a come forward, uh, seek and destroy type of fighter. Uh, I think there's gonna. I I don't think it's gonna go the distance to tell you the truth. Do you think that Amanda? I mean, I was talking to Lupi about this, and I believe that Amanda's best weight, her most effective weight, in my opinion, is between 126 and 130 pounds. So for me, she seems to be. Uh, she has advantage in the size there, and I believe, even though without doing the research, but I would venture to say that most of her knockouts in her career have been between 126 and 130 pounds. So with you saying that it's not going to go the distance, do you think that Amanda Serrano and Bermudez being a hard puncher as well, do you think that Amanda has the advantage of scoring the knockout because the weight class has been possibly the best that she's been at? I, you know what? Um, that is her weight class. That really is. She should be super strong. But I... I'm not counting on Bermudas either. I mean, she can, she she can fight. It's one of these toss-up fights that, you to me, it's like a fifty-fifty fight because as good as Amanda is, if she gets too rambunctious and goes charging after Bermudas too much, I mean, she could run into a punch, uh, uh, and that's always dangerous. And Bermudas can punch, and she knows how to box. She knows how to set up. Uh, uh, knockouts. Um, it's one of those things that whoever catches who could go could be the winner. Now earlier today, David, uh, the weigh-in for Shields and DeCarry was held. You, I'm sure you know Shields came in 153.6, DeCarry 152. Point, uh, no, 150. Yeah, 152.6. Perkins 196.8, uh, Harrison 202.8, Jamie Mitchell 120, Bosquez 119. And Esparza at a at a comfortable 117.4 with Barnett at 119. And now I saw a post by Merlene Esparza that that's actually going to be the running order. You know, Esparza, Barnett first, Jamie Mitchell, Bosquez second, Perkins, Harrison, co-main event, and then Shields obviously against the carry. So Esparza is going to be opening up the main event. Um, what did you make of uh, of Shields coming in a little bit? Not well, I mean, it wasn't expected, but I was—I didn't really expect for the carry to come in actually lower than than Shields, even though it was only a pound, David. Well, I mean, Shields is a you know middleweight, so True. she's going down. So she's going exactly where she wants to be. She can't be too low; uh, she'll be too weak. Whereas uh, uh, Marie Eve is, you know, it's no sweat for her. That's her weight class. Now, we have confirmed through our sources 
that Esparza is still scheduled to face, obviously with the win here, is still scheduled to face um, Yvette La Roca Zamora in April for the 112-pound WBC title. Why do you think they made this move of including her on this fight card when she has such an important fight scheduled um, in April, David? Well, uh, one thing about Marlon is she's very confident. She's a super confident uh, fighter, as she's proved uh, when she fought Sunisa in three-minute rounds. Uh, she's very confident, and she fought Sulem, and she basically doesn't feel any kind of hesitation that she's going to be able to do what she wants against uh, Barnett, although Barnett's a veteran. She knows what she's doing, too. But uh, I, I got to give a credit uh, to Marlon. Um, I was I spoke to the Golden Boy uh, people yesterday about that, and they were telling me that they like it. They like the fact that she's confident, that she just, you know, she doesn't care. She wants to play. Of course, there's always a worry about cuts. That's always mm-hmm. a danger. But, uh, you know, she, there's still time, even if she does get a neck, there's time enough for it to heal. Lupi, do you think it was a good move by Marlene Barça and Golden Boy to to take this fight, you know, in March when she has a, a world title uh, on – she's on the doorstep of a world title fight? Well, they probably looked at, you know, they looked at Barnett, they looked at her record, they looked, you know, at six rounds. And like David said, she she is really confident. So she's probably like, I need this in between. And she wanted to be part of making history. Mm. She, you she saw her say true. that? You saw her say that uh, in an interview? No, but I know she does. Okay. He, he, who doesn't, you know? Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. I mean, she came in at the Olympics and made a bronze and, you know, times with Golden Boy. I mean, yeah, that's probably part of it. I'm sure it's part of it. You think, David? You think that's part of it? Uh, I, I do. I think that she, I think she saw an opportunity that she could not only just help but also be part of it. I think that mm-hmm. those two things combined. And and the fact is, I mean, two months between fights is plenty of time. I mean, fighters used to fight every other week, and this is just every other month. That's plenty yeah, of time. You're right. You're right. Now, we are in our last, uh, the last part of our show, which is our upcoming calendar. And like I mentioned earlier, it, it is, uh, it's going to be busy. You know, the world and, and boxing, in a sense, has been, is opening up little by little. And when that happens, uh, female boxing does the same. Our next show is scheduled for March 18th. Um, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, and we're going to go right into it right now. Upcoming calendar, Friday, March 5th. Tomorrow, it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. I'm actually looking forward to this fight. I want to watch it because I've heard a lot about this young lady from France. I've actually included her in a, in a, in a story that I wrote uh, some months ago about the top, I think it was 25 under 25 or top 30 under 30, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was 25 under 25. And uh, Estelle Yoka Mosley, who's an Olympian from France, uh, it's going to take on Verena Kaiser in a 10-rounder at 135 pounds, and it's going to be televised in the United States on ESPN+. Plus. So I'm going to look for this fight and watch it because I am interested in, in Estelle Yoka Mosley because I think that she could be a future opponent for anybody at 135 pounds, whether it be Katie Taylor or if Katie Taylor ends up going up in weight and vacating the titles, anybody that takes on um, at a 135. She actually has 
the one other which you could call quote unquote major belt at 135. We know that Kay Taylor has a WBA, WBO, WBC, and uh, IBF title, and it's still Yokomosi actually holds the one other quote unquote major title that you could say, which is the IBO, and she's going to be defending that. So I am interested in seeing that. And the other historic part of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, because you, you're going to know better than I am, but this might be the first time in boxing history that a, a, a husband and wife fight on the same card. She is married to, uh, I forgot the guy, the, the, the heavyweight who's from France as oh, well. His yeah. last name is Yoka, but I don't remember his first name. Um, I'll look it up right now. But that, this might be the first time that a husband and wife actually fight on the same card. Tony Yoka. Tony. Tony, yeah, Tony Yoka. Thank you, Lupi. We, that might, this is tomorrow might be historic for two reasons for what's going to go down in France and what's going to go down in Flint, Michigan. I never heard of it. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain and I can't think of a. I know, I know that uh, unless um, unless Anna Gabriel's and her husband uh, Tiquito, what's his last name? Vasquez. Vasquez. Unless they fought on the same card, then that happens. Then. But I don't. But if they haven't done it, then this might be the first time. Yeah, yeah I wonder. I'm not sure if they fought or not. Yeah, there's that's some research. And her husband. Yeah, or Franchon and her husband if they fought on the but same card as well. Have. Yeah. So yeah. when yeah, because Franchon hasn't does she doesn't have a lot of fights, and I don't. I think he's been in her corner every time. So I'm gonna we have to look that up and see if that's actually happened in the past. And obviously tomorrow on Friday, March 5th, from Flint, Michigan, on Fight TV, pay-per-view. I'm going to order it. I'm sure David is and, and Lupi is as well. And we yeah. expect the majority of our listeners here on the two-minute round. I mean, this is the hooks and jabs look at female boxing. So we would expect the majority of our listeners to also order this fight card. But Clarissa Shields will be taking on the IBF undefeated super welterweight champion from Canada, Mary Eve DeCary in a schedule 10 rounder. And it's going to be for all the marbles at 154. We've talked about the WBA title. We don't have to get into it right now. WBC, IBF, WBO, and the super title at WBA. Danielle Perkins is looking, I think this is her third fight. She's looking for her first title, the vacant WBC silver title against Monica Harrison in the schedule. A Randall Perkins told us on this show, on on episode number 104, that it will not go the distance. Let's see if that happens. We have Jamie Mitchell against Noemi Bosquez, the veteran out of Florida in a schedule six rounder. And finally, opening up the card, Marlene Esparza out of Houston, Texas, taking on Shelly Barnett in a six rounder at 118 pounds. All of these fights are very interesting for different reasons. We're going to see Marlene Esparza right. at a much a much heavier weight, seeing how sharp she looks uh, in preparation for her world title fight against Ibella Roca Zamora. Jamie Mitchell fight, I want to see that. I really, I am very concerned about Noemi Bosquez. I want to see if she looks good, if she looks like she mm-hmm. should continue as a professional fighter, quite honestly. I mean, I hate to say it. I think she's a good fighter. I think she's a great person. Um, but I am concerned, and I want to see that she looks yeah. like she belongs. She still belongs in a boxing ring. I want to see mm-hmm. if Perkins knocks out Monica Harrison like she promised here on the show. <laughs> and 
And obviously, I want to see the winner of Clarissa Shields and Mary Eve DeCary. David, what are your thoughts on the fight card? What are you expecting? I'm pretty excited about it tomorrow. I mean, I already bought mine. Uh, I bought it earlier this morning. I want to make sure that I have everything right. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> end up uh, not getting it on time. Good so, idea. Yeah, no, I'm excited. <laughs> what time does it start in yeah. the West Coast, David? Six o'clock. Uh, six p.m. 6 p.m. Okay. All right. I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. I'm going to order it tomorrow morning. I'm going to, I'm going to, I found this, I mean, this is off the, off the, off kind of off the tip, but I found this really good recipe for a vegan uh, meatloaf with impossible burger. And it's really good. I mean, even if I pat myself on the back and I'm going to make it tomorrow, I'm going to have a good dinner. I'm going to sit in front of the TV and I'm going to watch this fight. I'm going to make myself a vegan meatloaf. I'll send you guys a picture because it looks, it looks like, it's me. It looks like it's me. So I'll send you guys a picture. Um, <laughs> Friday, March 12th from South Africa. Anna Rankin from Scotland is going to go. She's from Scotland, right? Yeah. Anna Rankin is going to be traveling yeah. down south to South Africa, taking on mm-hmm. Colosa Nubayini in an eight-rounder, 147 pounds. That's on Friday, March the 12th. On Saturday, March the 13th, and Australia, our friend here, been here on the show before, Ebony Bridges, oh, is going to be nice. taking on Carol Earl in a name rounder for a vacant Australian title. She was supposed to fight in England. Um, obviously, COVID kind of knocked mm-hmm. that out, but she's staying busy yeah. out there fighting Carol Earl. I follow her on social media. She's been getting ready for the fight, so that should be interesting. Good. Also, on Saturday, March 13th, hey, in the yes. So Ebony Bridges is another one. Okay, so she's Borno also. And it'll be, uh-huh. I mean, that's another Ooh. one that people like to say, is she any good? Is she, is she yeah. any Let's see. We've been trying Let's to see, see that she's had. That's right. Yeah, so that's another Ooh. one I want to see. That's a good fight, too, is we get Ebony Bridges and Melissa Odessa Parker in the ring. But let's see Bridges. Let's see if she's at that level. Because we know that, I mean, mm-hmm. Melissa told us her story. She started at 15. Her amateur pedigree is, is unbelievable. You know, and Ebony Bridges, yeah. quite honestly, I mean, she's a very hard worker. She's always showing videos of her working in the gym. And she is, but she started boxing really, really late. In her, but yeah. she looks good for somebody that started boxing so late in her in her yeah. in her life, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. but hey, that's a fight to be made. Both of them are popular, and why not? Sometime in the future, uh, a good fight for a world title. I don't see why not. Ebony Bridges was right on the storefront of. Uh, fighting for a world title. She hurt her shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's see that happen. Saturday, March 13th, also, when Ebony Bridges, well, it's going to be earlier, but as Ebony Bridges fights in Australia, in Tequila, Mexico, um, veteran Cristal Morales takes on Beatriz Aguilar in a scheduled 10-rounder for the vacant oh, wow. WIBA at 135 pounds. And from the American Airlines Arena in Dallas, Texas, on the zone, oh, yeah. it's going to be a we should expect a packed house now that Texas opened up. I'm sure they're going to try to sell every ticket <laughs> at the arena, you know? But we're going to have no the rematch. I'm really looking forward to this. The rematch. Jessica Casquilla McCaskill against the first lady of boxing, Cecilia Breakhouse, in a scheduled 10-rounder at 147 pounds for all the marvels, WBC, WBA, IBF, WBO, and the IBO. So, Though Jessica McCaskill right now holds all five titles and I think Ring Magazine as well. So um, that's going to be on Saturday, March 13th. We're going to talk all about it on our next show on March 18th. On Thursday, when our next show is up on March 18th, 
from Japan, Saemi Hanagata will take on Eri Matsuda in a 10-rounder at 102 pounds, Adamweight title. And from Puerto Rico, uh, Maricela Cornejo takes on Alma Ibarra in an eight-rounder at oh, 100. Man. Well, this is this is why I found uh, interesting that on BoxRec, it stated that it was at 168 pounds, but I thought Cornejo was way under that. I thought she was closer to 154. Yeah, that's a good question. Now she looks keep, she looks light. She looks very light. She looks very light and she looks really in shape at whatever way she's weighing at. She doesn't look one sixty eight. She looks closer to one fifty four. No. Um well, we're, we're, this is probably something that we might want to do. Obviously, today, David had to come on a little bit later because he was covering the main event of the Ring TV. But maybe on our next show, we actually don't have a guest because we are going to have a lot of fights to talk about. And um, we don't have a guest. And we start at 8, from 8 to 9, so that we could watch the Maricela Cornejo fight, talk about it, and then maybe if David comes in a little bit later, it won't be at the end of the show, you know? So let's try to do that for March 18th. Okay. So with that said, um, and then obviously if you guys listen to the show and you follow us on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter, we're going to post that out. And obviously you follow Lupe, you follow David, uh, we're going to post that and you'll see that instead of starting at 7.30, we're going to start at 8 o'clock. Uh, with all said, any thoughts and comments, Lupe, before we go on any of the fights that are coming up in the next two weeks? Um, did you just ask me if I had any comments? <laughs> yeah, thoughts or comments on the so, fights that are coming up in the next two weeks? No, I can't wait. It, it really is March Madness. Um, I was I was looking at, um, you know, you have girls like Krista Morales, and I'm like, wow, that was fast. Like girls who came back from a hiatus, here she is already going for a world title. I like it because you can make things happen, and they're making things happen. Yeah, David, any I thoughts agree. comments? No, I agree. Um, I, th- I think one of the, the things that a lot of promoters should understand is that with women, they have to go after it right away. There's no build-ups. There's no uh, uh, having uh, tune-up fights. You really got to go after it because there's only so many dates and you you can't wait. You you really can't wait and just fight once a year. Now, David, before we let you go, actually, Lupe had a really good question. Who is Ring Ring uh, Ring City? Is that just a different promoters offering fights to NBC Sports and they taking picking and choosing and paying for what they want to broadcast, or is it somebody actually the main promoter and they're bringing in other promoters as well? Uh, they're. Uh, essentially, not a promotion company. They're they're mainly like the they're the coordinators. That's the best way to say it. They're the coordinators. They they're working with different promoters, uh, bringing the best fights they can at a certain budget. Ring and, Ring City, okay. doing that? yes, Ring City USA. Okay. So they're the team. So they're, they're like we got everybody who does everything. We put the fights on, and we handle the whole show. Right. right. They're the coordinators. They just put it together yeah. and they I like they it and, and it's it's perfect because uh, there's been a void for a long time without uh what was it, USA boxing for many years and uh ESPN and uh Telepatura, yeah. all these shows that are gone. And yeah. um it, they're filling that void right now. 
Yeah, they're doing a good job, and, and they're having these three shows from Puerto Rico um, starting today. But as far as we're concerned here on the two-minute round, we are looking forward to the next one, which is March 18th which is going to feature Maricela Cornejo, who hasn't fought in quite a while against Alma Ibarra, 7-1. and one. So she's not a slouch either, the Mexican, in a scheduled eight-rounder at 168 pounds. And then on March 25th, um, which we didn't mention here, but we did mention on our fight chatter, uh, we're going to have that, that Amanda Serrano, Daniela Bermudez, which is going to be the main event. So that's going to be the big, uh, the big fight from Ring City as far as we're concerned from Puerto Rico. Brilliant. So with, with that said, we want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, David for coming in late with us, but still being here. <laughs> Lupe for holding down the fort and Miss Melissa Odessa Parker for being such a great guest. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, we'll see you on March 18th. Have a great night. Bye. Good night, everybody. <laughs>